My name is Ryan Smith. And my name is Shannon Hartley. You're listening to the Eastern Oregon Connection, a show celebrating small town community and highlighting the people that make it great. We'll be talking with local business owners, nonprofits, city leaders, farmers, and a host of other interesting people. We hope you'll join us for some personal stories, laughs, local news and events, and an all-around good time. This This is the the EO Connection. Welcome in, everybody, to the Eastern Oregon Connection. This is Shannon Hartley, and I'm here with Ryan Smith. How you doing, bud? Doing good, buddy. How are you doing today? Great, great. Had a good day, beautiful weather, and uh, we got to have a great conversation with uh, Marty Campbell. What'd you think? That was that was wonderful. Yep, a, a guy that you know most folks would recognize that run in rodeo circles, but um, you might also know him from his ministry or his teaching at the at the school, FFA instructor at the high school. But just a great guy. Yeah, yeah, really good conversation that we had with Marty. Um, he's just easy to talk to. Like the conversation is so easy with him, and uh, you know we ask him about being a storyteller and. And what that means to him and it actually comes from a long line in his family so mm-hmm. i think uh, listeners are really going to love this one so why don't we get into it but first we want to take a moment to thank guild mortgage for providing us a space to record the eastern oregon connection elaine anderson and her team are ready to help with any of your home financing needs or available to answer your questions to get you on the right path to home ownership now let's get into the podcast with marty campbell All right. Well, welcome in, everybody, to the Eastern Oregon Connection. Uh, We've got somebody here with us today that, uh, you know, you're likely going to recognize by their voice, uh, Marty Campbell. (laughs) Do I have to say something so they know who I am? (laughs) There you go. How are you doing today, Marty? Pretty good. Pretty good. How are you guys? We're doing great. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I guess we'll just kick it off with this. Marty, can you tell us how you make your living? Well, in a lot of different ways, actually. My, my main source of income, I teach high school agriculture up here at Pendleton High School. And uh, that's probably my biggest passion, too, depending on the day. If you ask me certain times of the day, I might have a different answer. But uh, <laughs> I, I've been doing that for about 10 years and, and really enjoy that. And I've actually retired from teaching several times. Uh, and finally, <laughs> I'm 48 and I've retired several times, but I'm in for the long haul now. But um, And then the, r- the rest of my deal, holy moly, I um, announce rodeos all over the country. Um, you know, PRCA rodeo announcer and, and I've been doing that for 10 years or so. And then uh, we also have a ministry, Broken Horn Ranch Ministries. And that's not necessarily a, a, a way I make my living necessarily, but it is uh, definitely something that I make my life with. Um, mm-hmm. We, my wife and I, started that about nine years ago, I think. And we, I, I write a daily reading that goes out mm-hmm. all over the place, um, Facebook, email list. We've, I mean, there's sometimes I'll write something and blows my mind that you know, 30,000 people read it and you're like, holy <laughs> moly. So that's been a kind of a full-time deal. And we have a, a cowboy church service every Monday night at the Letterbuck Room during the school year and then at our place during the summer. And then we have some events uh, throughout the year. We, we help, we're pretty instrumental in the rodeo Bible camp here in town. And then we also, uh, um, oh, we put on ropings at our place and then uh, maybe some clinics here and there, so whether it's a horsemanship clinic, a dog training clinic, or whatever, and uh, use those just as ministry outreaches, and they're 
a lot of fun and um, then we've got a herd of cows that we chase around and I, they wouldn't recognize me right now. I've been so busy lately. I haven't been out there to check on them. So <laughs> I'm hoping they're still there. Um, and I think that's about it. I don't know. I, I'll probably do a few other things too. So. That, that's all? What do you do? I was going to yeah. say, I don't know if you realize this, but that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's what people tell me. My wife especially. Uh, so. I, I, I do a lot less than that, and my wife still tells me I do too much. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you're like the you're like the Michael Jordan of retirement for, uh, yeah, for, for agricultural being an ag, ag <laughs> <Yeah>. teacher. <laughs> That's the first time anybody's ever called me that. There you <laughs> go. Yeah, take yeah, that, that as a Michael compliment. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you touched on this with your ministry, Marty, but something I wanted to ask you about today was, you know, I feel like I'm kind of uh, of the perspective of an outsider looking in on the rodeo lifestyle in many ways, mm-hmm. and so one thing that I think of note that I've recognized is that. Rodeo is unlike any other sport or major group activity in that I feel like faith is still a very strong component. There's a lot of prayer and and just talk about God that runs in rodeo circles. Can you explain your feelings on that at all? Yeah, yeah, and I think some of it's pretty genuine. I think some of it's part of the show, but I think, uh, you know, there has been a real... Uh, outreach to rodeo over the last 30, 40 years that, um, you know, there's some really strong leaders. And I'll I'll use Alan Bach, for instance. There's a world champion team roper who really took a lot of younger guys under his wing um, and really, you know, brought them along in their walk with the Lord. Uh, Like we've had Daniel Green, uh, NFR team roper, come out to our place, put on some schools, and same type of deal. And so there's a lot of mentorship going on there or discipleship in, in reality, and, and I think that has um, really gotten stronger over the years because it's kind of a generational thing. When I was in high school, um, you know, where I really got my, I guess, start in my walk, my Christian walk, was through the Fellowship of Christian Cowboys. And, I mean, I'd, I'd grown up going to church and everything, Sunday school and all that kind of stuff, but... It was uh, my freshman year of high school. I decided, man, I'm going to get serious about this. And I was high school rodeo, and in the high school rodeo paper, there was a, an advertisement for the Fellowship of Christian Cowboys, and you could send in and get your How to Be a Christian kit or whatever it was. And, <laughs> and so they sent that out, and, and that kind of started my walk. And so I really um, you know, it grew a lot through rodeo just because the ministry was there. Uh, there'd be church services, a lot of the rodeos and things like that. And so um, it helped me immensely. My wife, same deal. She she rodeoed her whole life um, and then, uh, you know, got baptized in a water trough at a rodeo Bible camp in Thai Valley. <laughs> I was... I... <laughs> Have been baptized in a water trough in Thai Valley. Yeah, at a, at a, at a rodeo Bible camp. There you go. <laughs> probably, yep, same one. Probably, I don't know. After Guaranteed. You, yeah. Years after you. Yeah. I was literally just going to bring that up, though. That Isn't that funny? <laughs> well, it's funny. I got baptized in a water trough, but mine was at the state high school finals rodeo, and uh, it's kind of cool because I have a picture of me getting baptized, and there's a bucking horse drinking out of the water trough. And I have another picture of me later that day winning the round on the same horse. So that's kind of cool. But, yeah, I I mean, it's just, it's been a big part of of the sport. And I think um, over the last several years, you just just hear a lot more uh, prayers being, 
you know, said at the openings of rodeos and things like that, which I think is great. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, it's, a lot of people look at it as a, as kind of an Americana thing, but, um, I, when I pray, when I announce a rodeo, I, I'm serious about it. I mean, it's, there's nothing scripted there. I just, that's, I just say the prayer and that's it. And, um, you know, it's a real conversation between me and God right there. And that's that. So, but it's good. And, and our ministry really um, has focused on people with a heart for that lifestyle. Not necessarily people who are rodeoing, but uh, people that just have a heart for that lifestyle. And it's been a lot of fun. And, and we've done just some cool things. We've got a great group of people that, um, you know, we consider family. And it's just cool. And then we, we have dinner prior to our church service on Monday. And uh, so you get a chance to eat with everybody and visit and all those types of things. And I know, um, oh gosh, she's passed away now, but she was uh, one of the nuns at St. Anthony's. Oh, and she Sister came Mary? Uh, no. Um, Sister... That's a good guess, though. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, what was her name? Yeah, I think I know who you're talking anyhow, about. Anyhow, she came a couple times, and one of the things that she told Rick Oliver is she said this just reminds me of the early church and i mm. said yeah it is you know because it's not it's pretty informal and we just really share our lives together so it's it's a lot of fun but that's awesome, awesome. Yeah. you mentioned uh high school so can you for the listeners take us back did you did you grow up in pendleton or the area or where yeah what's your background i graduated uh in 1992 the 100th graduating class pendleton high school and the best. Um, <laughs> so no offense to anybody else, but that's the year I was born. You too. <laughs> Close ninety one. Okay. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> no, we uh, graduated ninety two, and I moved to Pendleton when I was in eighth grade, and so I've you know been here most of my life. Went to school at Blue Mountain after I graduated a couple of years on a rodeo scholarship. Um, took a year off and just rodeoed and worked for a year, and then uh, went to Walla Walla on a rodeo scholarship, and then broke my neck in the fall of 1996 riding bucking horses at a PRCA rodeo in Vancouver, Washington. And that ended my saddle bronc riding career. And so all of a sudden I had to get serious about getting done with school because I was, I was kind of majoring in rodeo at that point. <laughs> and I had a lot of ag classes uh, under my belt, but I could never pass a math class. And so I couldn't get a degree in agriculture without a uh, math class. And so when I finally ended up at Eastern, which is my parents were living in Willow at the time and I couldn't drive. I was in a collar for six months, had a surgery, couple C5 and C6 are fused and plated together in my neck. And, and so I, I went and lived with them for a little while and they would drive me back and forth between Willow and Eastern uh, over in LeGrand and ended up finishing school over there and um, ended up working for the school after I graduated with my bachelor's degree, uh, worked in the alumni and development office and uh, was the assistant rodeo coach and kind of ran all the practices and, and a lot of the fundraising and stuff like that and ended up uh, getting ready to leave when my wife graduated and she had a job at St. Anthony's as a nurse and so when I was getting ready to quit my job at Eastern, the president Phil Creighton at the time, he came to me and he said, if you keep writing all these articles for this alumni magazine, I'll pay for your master's degree. And I said, okay. So I wrote 13 articles over the next 
year and um, student taught up here at Pendleton with uh, Kathy Peel because my degree was in English. That was my quickest way out of college. And, <laughs> and, uh, I uh, without taking a math I class. Say, yeah, didn't have to take any math class. <laughs> and so I ended up uh, getting hired to teach at Pendleton, and that's kind of where it all started. So I started teaching up there in 2001. Um, it was a few years there, and then quit, went and sold feed for a while. Then I ended up uh, uh, going back to teaching, and I taught at Pilot Rock, and it, that was how I got back to where I wanted to be, and that was as an ag teacher. Uh, the ag teacher out there quit halfway through the school year, and Principal Ed Sherman said, who wants to take these kids to the state convention? And I said, I will, but I want the job. I said, how do I get certified? Well, I, because I had sold feed in that year off, I, um, and livestock handling equipment, I had enough industry hours that they were able to certify me out of industry, and so I started teaching ag, and that's kind of been my deal ever since. <laughs> I mean, I've I left for a few years and uh, ended up uh, doing some other things, one of which was the first leadership director for the Oregon FFA Association, and then my rodeo announcing kind of took off, and when my kids got to be where they were getting to be junior high and high school age and had a lot more of their activities, I got rid of some rodeos and went back to teaching full-time, and I think I'm there for good now. I just I'm I'm having a good time. I got some great kids and can't complain. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that that mentorship. You know, you touched on mentorship and your faith, but I think uh, that must be strong in your personality to be able to to do that with your ministry, but also teach your you know being a role model and and setting a, a good example. But you you touched a little bit on your rodeo career taking off or the you know the announcing piece of that. Can you tell us a little bit about your trajectory with that and kind of where that started? Or well, it started actually when I was still riding Bronx. Um, I well, actually when I was a freshman in high school, I, and I've shared this story with a lot of people. But I remember we were judging livestock at the Walla Walla Frontier Days, and I asked Mr. Peel, our FFA advisor, "Hey, can I stay and watch the rodeo tonight and get a ride back with so and so?" And he's like, "Well, it's got to be all right with your parents." And of course, that was a hard chore getting a hold of them because that was before cell phones and all that <laughs> maybe so I, maybe before we move forward we should ffa uh future farmers of america yeah it used to be called future farmers of america now it's the national ffa organization uh, there's a lot of focus on um, agri-science and okay. ag business into things so my freshman year of high school they changed it from the future farmers of america to the national ffa organization just okay to, get across that it's more than just production agriculture yeah. it's every part of it but uh, and yeah then, and so. then there's PRCA Pro Rodeo Cowboy Association yeah. um, NFR National Finals Rodeo I'm trying yeah. to spell this yeah, we out gotta, trying gotta to have spell all little, these out for the for the listeners here <laughs> gotta have a key yeah, yeah. So here's your key for this episode exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah so the uh, FFA we were over there judging livestock and and I ended up staying and watching the performance and i remember what bob tallman was announcing it and here's this guy he comes out here horseback and he's got shaps on and this cool looking shirt and a buckskin hat and and he's talking on the microphone i thought man one of these days i want to do that and uh, <laughs> so i ended up you know sharing that i guess with with people along the way and of course i made a per good part of my living in high school reciting cowboy poetry to banquets and cattlemen's conventions and stuff like that all over the northwest and 
And so I was always in front of an audience. In, in high school, in FFA, I was the state champion public speaker my senior year, was, you know, did parliamentary procedure. So, uh, and I, I blame a lot of that on Mr. Peel and uh, my mom, because they forced me into that. Because uh, I was a shy kid, I didn't really want it. But it, it kind of, it, it hooked, and so, I they, ended they up forced you into FFA and getting in front of people and well, speaking. Well, I wanted to be in FFA, but I didn't realize I had to get in front of people and speak. So <laughs> my freshman year, uh, you know, the the first contest you can do as far as public speaking in FFA is the creed speaking contest, and so it's I believe in the future of agriculture with a faith born not of words but of deeds, and so on and so forth. So there's five paragraphs, and so here I'm this freshman. And my mom, she's like, you're getting in the creed speaking contest. No, I'm not. And Mr. Peel, you're getting in this contest. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. And so sure enough, creed speaking contest come along. We're at the junior high. I am up there giving this creed, and I'm pacing back and forth on the stage in my cowboy boots. I step on a piece of hard candy that was on the stage. And so every time I'd take a step, it would crunch. <laughs> And so pretty quick, I kind of <laughs> forgot where I was in the creed, and I had a girl stashed in the front row. She was supposed to tell me the words. She, she, I couldn't hear her. I bent down. I couldn't read her lips. I finally stood up. I go, oh, we'll just skip that verse and go on to the next paragraph. And then everybody laughed at me, and I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And so from that point on, I was like, give me a microphone. I'll, I'll get up there. And, and so it was kind of that career kind of started then and of course i was riding bucking horses and was a state champion in in high school and went to the college national finals a couple times started winning a little bit in the prca before i broke my neck and um, when i was a freshman in college steve Kenyon, who is on the cowboy channel every night now but he called me and he said hey can you fill in for me at this high school rodeo in condon i said sure I'll try it. So I was still rodeo and I still riding Bronx and I, I go down there and announce this rodeo and I'm like, well, that's all right. You know, I'm not. So then I was also announced or, uh, entered in a rodeo in Tenino, Washington. It was all rough stock. And I'd ridden my Bronx that afternoon. And then during the bull riding, uh, the announcer who was standing in the arena got hooked by a bull. And they load him up in the ambulance, and the stock contractor, who's Frank Beard, goes, Marty Campbell! <laughs> and he hands me the microphone, and so I end, I finished the rodeo. And, and so I always say that was my first real rodeo, because high school rodeos are, you know, a little, it's a little different kind of performance. It's more of a slack-type performance a lot of times. And so sure. that was the first one where there was a big audience there, and Chris Ledoux concert and all that kind of stuff, and I finished that one. And... So then I, when I broke my neck, I thought, okay, I'm going to be a rodeo announcer. And I started announcing a couple of college rodeos and I hated it because I was up in that stand and all my buddies were down there on the ground <laughs> and I'm stuck up there and I wanted to visit, you know? And so I did it for a couple of years, ended up working for a stock contractor who I did a lot of his rodeos, but I really wasn't making a whole lot of money. And I was kind of getting yelled at a lot and I'm like, I don't like this. So I, I quit and uh, it was 10 years before I finally decided and I'd worked at the National Finals Rodeo um, as a production secretary down there learned a lot about production we went to Alaska put on a rodeo um, you know kind of I worked for Sean Davis and lived with him and while I was working for him and it was you talk about a learning experience it was amazing and 
So I, I was the president of the National Intercollegiate Rodeo Association and learned a lot about the business side of the sport then um, and ended up uh, was the openings production manager at the College National Finals for 10 years. So I was working on the production end of the sport, but I wasn't announcing and I was totally fine with that. And then about 10 years after I quit announcing rodeos, my wife and I were sitting there. Um, I took her to dinner and I, I said, we got to talk. I said, I think I want to do this. She goes, what? I said, I think I want to announce rodeos. She goes, well, we've been here before. I go, no, <laughs> I, I really think I want to do this. And I, I just, uh, let's try it. She goes, okay, but if you're going to do it, you're going to stick with it. And there's no starting and stopping like you've done before. And I said, okay. And so I hung my shingle out and, uh, I don't think I got a single rodeo that first year. <laughs> and then the next year I had a, quite a few rodeos. And then, um, then the next year I put in for my PRCA card and got approved for that. And then away it went. And so I've, I've had the opportunity to announce rodeos in Hawaii and New Jersey and a lot of places in between, uh, did the NFR bucking horse sale, um, you know, I, I just, I've done some television broadcasts, Salt Lake City, Days of 47, done the college national finals on TV. Um, now with the Cowboy Channel, it seems like um, a lot of the rodeos I do announce are on there. So I, I get to listen to myself and critique myself, which I'm sitting there going, oh my gosh. Because you know, <laughs> we all hate the sound of our own voice. Yeah, it's like know. us with this podcast. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Having to listen back up. Oh, yeah, but that's oh. kind of the whole story. And, and like I say, I had a, I mean, I was announcing 20 some rodeos a year and then substitute teaching in the winter time. But then my kids got to the age where they started having their things and I didn't want to miss that. And so I quit several rodeos, paired my schedule way back and, and, uh, ended up going back and teaching at Pendleton, which Jim Kraut, who is my old high school principal, I ran into him one day, he goes, you teaching again? And I said, uh, yeah, I said, this is the third time they've hired me. He goes, well, you better stay with it because they ain't going to hire you a fourth time. I said, <laughs> okay. He said, the third time better be the charm is what he said. But, so uh, it's it's been a really good deal because in the summertime I get announced rodeos. Yeah. And, and uh, it's a great source of income as far as that goes. And um, I don't have to be gone all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's a blessing right there. So yeah, I'm I'm in a pretty good spot, I think. So so yeah, so I think you know speaking to that, maybe it seems like that's something you're really passionate about. That's kind of a not a traditional career path. You know, it's right. kind of a, a step in faith and maybe taking some risk there. Is can you speak to maybe just one piece of advice or something that you recall from your your you know, your journey going through the, the rodeo announcing something for the listeners, maybe that might yeah. be chasing a, a passion. You know, I, and I gave the same advice to a friend of mine who's got his own business now. And, and, you know, he's, he's in that point where he's got the work, but is is still that struggle, you know? And I guess the, the best advice I would say is don't be afraid to go work at night somewhere, you know? Um, I, I was substitute teaching in the wintertime so I could pay the bills and, and I would do anything it took to make sure that we didn't miss a payment on our house and um, 
we didn't we never did i mean we never missed any payments but mm-hmm. i wasn't just announcing rodeos i was doing a lot of other little things here and there and when i was working for the oregon ffa association um, the unfortunate thing about that job is the busy time of the year for that job was the same time my busy time was with rodeo and so i mean i was gone for a month straight one time and I stopped by the house to change my shirt <laughs> and my wife goes we can't do this I said well what do you want me to do she said well if you want to be a rodeo announcer you go be a rodeo announcer and so I had her blessing to quit a pretty dang good paying job and a really rewarding job and it was a fun job and I was kind of blazing some new trails there advising the state FFA officers uh, creating some leadership programs and things like that and uh so I walked away from that knowing that, you know, the rodeo petered out pretty good in the wintertime. So I had to figure <clears> something out and, and I did. I substitute taught a lot and because I was a teacher. Um, I got a lot of the long-term jobs because they knew I could plan lessons and do everything that uh, a teacher needs to do. And so it, it really worked out very well there for me. And of course, little odd jobs here and there too. So my advice would be don't you know don't quit just realize that your passion might not be your total vocation it might be your avocation um, at least for a while and then i mean i've turned down a lot of rodeos that i probably it could have taken off and i'd have been you know full time but you're on 35 weeks out of the year and i don't want to do that right now i i've got a family at home i've got uh, a couple other irons in the fire and it's it's just one of those choices that I made um, and you know put put God first your family right there with him and and uh, everything else seems to kind of fall into place mm-hmm. yeah good on you to <clears throat> to be able to kind of keep the balance in mind and remember what what matters to you and it's not just the career so right. yeah that's awesome so you've announced uh, the Pendleton Roundup how, how many times? Well, I do the radio broadcast. The radio broadcast. And, and I've been doing that since I, the year I graduated from high school. Oh, um, wow. So another deal, Steve Kenyon called me and he said, hey, we want to have a guy on the ground doing interviews. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, we do this radio broadcast, which I'd never listened to it because I was always there at the rodeo. And, and I said, yeah, I'll do it. That sounds like fun. And so I started on the ground just doing interviews, and old Ted Smith would, we're going down to Marty Campbell on the ground, and he'd, he'd <laughs> throw it down to me, and I'd have you know, all these world champions, these guys that were my heroes, and I'd get to interview them. And, and uh, Butch Knowles was upstairs, and Steve, and Bill Shonley of the Portland Tra- Trailblazers, Ted Smith, and that booth Jeez. was tiny. It was about the size of this table, and there's like nine guys in there dick kelly who you know probably the longest running partner i had on on that broadcast was dick kelly and just a great friend and and uh, so him along with all those other guys and so over i started that in 1992 and we of course missed 2020 so next year will be 30 years not this coming year but next year will be 30 years uh, of doing the Pendleton Roundup broadcast, and uh, in 19 or 2016, the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association uh, gave me the Excellence in Broadcast Journalism Award for that broadcast, and so wow. I was like, man, I'm like Bob Costas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty cool, and you know, and there were some pretty, 
there are some pretty impressive people that have won that. And I'm like, you're giving this to me? You know, so <laughs> it, it, it's been a long time doing that. And um, my wife said, I can't quit until they, I can't climb the stairs anymore. So. <laughs> well, that actually leads into an, another question that I had is that, you know, through all your time in, in rodeo, what's been the biggest honor or personal accomplishment that you have? Well, I would say that, um, you know, it's like I, I got this coffee table at home's got all kinds of buckles laying in it and i used to think man i gotta i gotta have this buckle i gotta have that buckle and and the and the two buckles that mean the absolute most to me are that one that mm -hmm. excellence in broadcast journalism award and then uh well it's the one i'm wearing right now national intercollegiate rodeo association student president <clears throat> and i think the reason those two mean so much to me is is i i mean i've worked my tail off for 25 years before um, I got that excellence in journalism buckle. And uh, it just is like, wow, this is so cool. I've been doing this as, you know, it's just my love. It's my mm -hmm. passion. I love the Pendleton Roundup. I love talking about it. I love, I mean, the broadcasting part of it. So, I, I mean, it, and it doesn't pay real great. It pays pretty well, but not real great. Um, you know, so I wasn't doing it for the money. I was doing it because I loved doing it. And uh, then to finally get some recognition, it was like, holy cow, that's really cool. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, the student president of the NRA, that one meant so much to me because when I, I got elected to that, um, that position before I broke my neck. Hmm. And, well, the student director for the Northwest region and when I broke my neck, I couldn't ride Bronx anymore. So I put everything I was into the business side of the sport and learning the production end. And I busted my tail, got elected national student president, ran the association from that chair, um, and just enjoyed the heck out of it. But I remember my, the year I was president, we were at the College National Finals Rodeo in Rapid City, South Dakota. And I just remember thinking, okay, my goal because Sean Davis, who was the general manager at the National Finals Rodeo, he was on the college rodeo board with me. And I said to myself, my goal is to work so hard that Sean offers me a job. I'm not going to ask him for one, but I'm going to work hard enough that he'll offer me a job. So we're standing, he and I are standing behind the buck and shoots, the last performance of the college national finals. And uh, he turned to me and he said, Marty, I thought you've done a good job as president. I said, well, thank you, Sean. I appreciate that. He goes, I'd like you to come work for me. And I'm like, <laughs> all right. So sure enough, I got to go work for him and the guru, guru in the sport and learned so much from him and, and uh, just just an awesome experience to work for him. But, you know, just to be able to, to serve college rodeo that way was just an honor for me. And so... Those are probably the two highlights of my rodeo career. And I've got to announce, you know, several circuit finals, um, like say the Buck and Horse Sale at the NFR several times. Um, you know, did the openings of the College National Finals for 10 years. All, all those things, um, and they're awesome, great experiences. Meet people and have friends all over the country, and what mm -hmm. a blessing that is. Mm -hmm. um, but those two things probably just mean the most to me because of the time and the effort it took to get there and uh, just you know did it out of love but you know it's like you got a pat on the back in the end and 
It's just cool, I, I guess. <laughs> and, and you don't do it for the pat on the back. You just do it because you love it. But yeah, it's just just kind of a neat thing. So. I had a thought here. So the last guest we talked to was Tanner Carey. And during that visit, Shannon <laughs> had mentioned um, that he had been trying to get into the program for fire EMT school, mm-hmm. but didn't get into the program. It this was, was a while those, back. Yes, this <laughs> Not was doing it now. Right, yeah. right. But this was kind of a, a pivotal moment for Shannon years ago to kind of set the trajectory of doing something way different that he hadn't imagined in his life. And I wonder if you could look back to maybe your injury, breaking your neck, or any other big moment that you think would be one of those pivotal ones, yeah. maybe a blessing in disguise where it's like that is obviously not a great thing to have happen to you, but you've right. found yourself in the rodeo lifestyle in a totally different way than you may have pictured it when you were rodeoing. Yeah, I tell people that all the time. If I was still, if I if I had never broke my neck, my career would have ended ten years ago. And I still get to go out there and tell stories about some pretty cool people, some awesome bucking horses, and get paid pretty decent for it. And I'm like, it, I'd I'd been retired by now, you know, and and. <laughs> There's really no end in sight for what I'm doing now. So yeah, it, that that was a pivotal point when I broke my neck. Um, you know, I thought it was the end of the world, and I really struggled with that for quite a little while because everything I'd done had been to, you know, I I wanted to, I was just like everybody everybody else. I wanted to be a world champion saddle bronc rider, and and uh, all of a sudden that was over i mean i ate lived and breathed it i was i mean i worked my tail off at it and then it was over like that and that was probably the sound it made too you know? so it was <laughs> yeah. like i the mean c5 it, and the c6 yeah it, and it dislocated them you know so it was a pretty catastrophic injury but mm-hmm. um i i i think you know to call it a blessing in disguise i wouldn't say that necessarily because I've gone round and round, you know, with God on this deal, and, and one of the things that that I've realized over the years is that I honestly don't think that God caused that, so it wasn't really a blessing that way. Um, but I think He used it, and I think He will do that with anything that happens in our lives. It may be the worst thing that you can ever imagine happening, but God can use that, and He He really did use that um, to do a lot of different things. Um, Man, I just, I, yeah, for a long time, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up, but I, you know, for a long time, I couldn't figure out, like, oh, where am I supposed to be? And, and I was talking to a good friend of mine, um, Justin McKee, and used to announce Pendleton. He's mm-hmm. on Cowboy Channel all the time now, and a uh, good friend of mine. I was, I said, hey, I, I need you to pray. I said, I keep asking God, do you want me to do this full time? Because I'd been announcing some rodeos and it was going really well. And I, I said, I'm just praying for that. And I, I'm not getting any answers. And he goes, well, I'll tell you why you haven't been getting your answers. He said, you're right where you're supposed to be. You get the best of both worlds. You get to go announce rodeos and do all that. And you get to change kids' lives every day in an ag classroom. So that's the best there's it there is. And the funny thing about that, another guy told me that same thing. Baxter Black, who's one of the, you know the world's most famous cowboy poet, Western entertainer. Um, he and I were talking at the National FFA convention, and I had performed with him when I was young, and and uh, so we were talking, and he said, "Well, what are you doing now?" I said, "I'm teaching ag." He goes. Well, that's the greatest thing in the world. 
I said, well, I don't know. I, I, I want to be a full-time rodeo announcer. He goes, you know, he's like looking at me incredulously going, are you stupid? <laughs> you know, and, and, and both of them were right in that I have the opportunity to change kids' lives. And I, not every one of them do I make that big of an impact on. And there's some kids that probably hate my guts. I guarantee you that. Um, but there are some kids whose um, lives that I've been able to be a very big part of and change those lives. And I couldn't do that if I were gone 30 weeks out of the year announcing rodeos. So I really do believe I'm, I'm blessed um, to be where I am. Um, I get to go home and be with my wife and my kids every day. And, you know, my son, he's gone all over the country with me to announce rodeos. Um, and he, you know, for a long time, he wanted to ride Bronx too. And he got to hang out with those guys and uh, behind the buck and shoots. And here's this 10 year old kid back there just st standing next to his hero, Cody DeMoss, and, <laughs> and getting to watch him climb on these ranks, suckers. And, and I'm like, what a lucky little booger, you know? And he's meeting all these legends. Um, Harry Vold, I remember the first time he met Harry Vold, he's like, is that the Harry Vold? I go, yeah. And he goes, oh, cool. And then he met another guy. I won't mention his name, but he's pretty well known in rodeo. And uh, he goes, well, isn't he a legend? I go, don't tell him that. You know, it's one of those situations. But um, that little sucker got to go all over the place. And, like, my wife went with uh, me and Cray, my son, um, back to, I was announced a rodeo in New Jersey, and the Cowtown Rodeo, which is, pretty famous actually and uh, went back there for the second year and we decided well let's go to Washington DC the week before so we went to Washington DC and saw everything there and Williamsburg and Arlington and you know we after the rodeo we went up to uh, uh, Gettysburg which mm -hmm. Cray and I had gone the year before and it's like the most powerful place I've ever been um, especially when you get a good tour bus driver. The first year I was bawling like a baby the whole time, but uh, <laughs> we went up there twice and got to see some things. And it's like, wow, my family gets to be a part of this. My wife, she, she's like, I've been to rodeos cause she rodeoed too. She roped calves and tied goats and everything. And so she only picks the exotic places to go. So <laughs> That's my I, I'm announcing a rodeo in Hawaii. She goes, I'm going. Well, you'll have to do the sound. Okay, I'll do it. So away we go, and we're over there in Hawaii, and she's doing the sound for me, and and got to see some cool things over there, and it, it was it's just fun. So, I I mean, I don't know. I I I'm pretty blessed. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty cool to, you know. Sometimes you you get frustrated. You have a bad day. Something's going on that you feel like isn't gonna quit, and you can say, you know what. Gosh, 10 years ago, whatever amount of time back to say, here I am, I got, you know, my happy, healthy family, I got a good job, a roof over my head, you know, it's like, get to sit in here and talk with Marty Campbell and have a conversation, you know, <laughs> things are pretty good, this is good stuff, so yeah. <laughs> it's good to be, you know, count your blessings. Exactly, but, yeah. Um, I mean, you're essentially a professional speaker, and in, in everything you do, yeah. you know, you, you're speaking, you're, you're teaching kids, you're speaking, you're announcing the rodeos. Um, your ministry, just everything. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you <coughs> was just, to, and you've been doing it, you know, since you were in FFA, since you were little, yeah. so a long time. Um, so I just wanted to ask you generally about being a storyteller and the <laughs> importance of that and, uh, and 
how you see that, you know, do you, do you still think it's as important as it used to be to, to kids to be, to be a good orator? Um, what are you kind of seeing out there as a teacher? Is it? Well, I like to think so. Cause I, that's what I do. I'm a storyteller and, and, uh, it's funny you say that because I have a, a book, The Cattle on a Thousand Hills. You can get it on Amazon, by the way. Um, <laughs> so, but the introduction to that book, my first sentence is, I come from a long line of storytellers. Mm-hmm. All my uncles, my great uncles were, you know, they were cowboys, but they were storytellers. Mm-hmm. My grandpa was a storyteller, and I'm a storyteller. My brother's a storyteller. I mean, that's just what we do. But I remember one time I'd got... I had gotten evaluated by my vice principal and you know of course they have to do that for us teachers they come in and watch us make sure we're doing things the way we should be doing them and uh, so he and I were going over the evaluation later and he said that on my content knowledge he had graded me superior and I'm like I don't know if I'm superior I said I I know some stuff but I don't know everything he goes no he goes I'll tell you he said those kids love to ask you questions that'll get you off track so that they can get you to tell a story. And you have a tendency, you're able to tell this story, get them all excited, and then all of a sudden, you're right back where you left off and just keep on teaching them what you were teaching them. He said, no, most teachers can't do that. Uh I said, oh, I thought everybody could, you know. And and I remember one time I was, I, I used to teach these vocabulary terms at the beginning of the class period. Um, and they were cultural literacy vocabulary terms. And so I remember I, I taught this lesson and next day, Kip Curtis comes and he goes, Hey, I heard Nolo Contendre on Law and Order last night. And I knew what it meant because of that story you told us about you and your brother. I'm like, Oh, good. And so, you know, those things, I think it draws those connections. It really, um, you know, and kids are different now than they were 20 years ago. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. They're staring at these phones they got Instachat and Snapchat and all whatever, you know, and, and, uh, um, I, and of course there's some kid out, it's not Instachat, it's Instagram. Right? I was going to say, did, <laughs> I, did I, go, I hear Instachat in there? And I tell them, I know what it is. I say that because it's stupid, you know, so, uh, but so that it's different and their attention spans are different because of that. I think COVID was probably the most brutal thing that has happened to this generation of kids, bar none. Um, and I think that goes without saying, but I've seen it really, really affect kids. And we're finally, we're finally past it. Um, you know, I, I know there's still COVID out there and it's probably always going to be there. But in the schools, like I, I'll say this on the podcast, even though people listen to it. But uh, the first half of this year, I spent a lot of time checking the one ads. Like, okay, mm-hmm. I, I can't do this. Um these kids have changed a lot, and I don't know if I can change with them. But as the year's gone on, right now I'm having the most fun I've had in a long time. Um, and we're almost out of school, and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm okay with that. Summer vacation can come. But there's there's so much that has finally turned the corner in those kids. So I guess in answer to your question, being a storyteller is it, it's a... It, I use it differently than I used to mm-hmm. because I can't stand there and tell stories for 45 minutes or the kids, you know, I lose them. Yeah. Um, but they still, those stories do make those connections. And 
I mean, I try to do other things too. I, I try to kind of like starting a cold. I try to keep their feet moving all the time. And <laughs> so I teach all the shop classes up there and that really is easy because they're, they're doing things. But man, when you see, like we had our FFA banquet last week for the year end and we displayed a whole bunch of stuff that the kids had built in the shop. And there were some beautiful things there. And matter of fact, some of them got, parents were posting pictures of them on Facebook and got one kid, she's getting orders now. So uh, she, and she said, Mr. Campbell, can I order some more metal? Cause I, I got people want me to build these things. I'm like, okay. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's just cool to see that and the work that they put into those things um, and the care that they take to do a good job. So there's hope. Um, and I tell my kids all the time, I say, man, if you guys learn how to work, if you learn how to show up every day, show up early and stay late, you got a ticket to ride. Because unfortunately, most of the kids in this generation, um, they don't have those skills. And a lot of that's not their fault. Um, you know, the just the way they're raised, the, the way the laws are now, so on and so forth. But I think COVID just knocked the wheels out from under this generation of kids. And some of them are really having a hard time recovering from that. Mm-hmm. And uh, but there's some that are, and I'm proud of them. And I'm just, I just, uh, I look at them like they're up my own kids, you know. And yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. <clears throat> I, I, I don't think I could ask for any other business to be in. Yeah, <laughs> I was uh, talking with some clients the other day, and they were telling me, uh, you know, they've got a 17-year-old daughter, and so she was right in the middle of high school mm-hmm. with, with COVID, and um, they were building their new house at the time, so they were in um, <coughs> just like this 900-square-foot, I think he built a, a shop with a, mm-hmm. you know, a little place to live in it as well, and so they were just going through COVID in this 900-square-foot yeah. with a 17-year-old and an 11-year-old, and just the, the angst and oh, yeah. just everything (laughs) yeah it's uh it's crazy my son hated the online stuff like with a passion and so we finally got back into school last year go back to the national ffa convention i'm one of maybe a thousand people there that was good about keeping his mask on and i came back with covid (laughs) (laughs) so i'm staying home for 10 days and Here's my son who's as healthy as a bull calf and he has to stay home for 21 days because he doesn't have the disease, but he may get it, you know? And so he, oh, I thought he was gonna go postal on us, you know, but um, he, he's the kind of kid that needs to be in school. and needs to be around things that he can work with his hands and um, great student, very, very intelligent kid, but loves to build stuff. And um, so that online deal was, just torture for him and I think it was for a lot of kids um, and it, it broke my heart I mean it really did uh, to see some of those kids miss out on so much mm-hmm. uh, especially last year's freshmen they had no idea what they were missing out on as far as the opportunities that they can have through FFA uh, the travel the the leadership experiences the career development experiences I mean all all those things that they would have gotten a normal year they didn't get during that COVID year. And so, I mean, I, I'm just like, oh, you poor kids. You have no idea what you missed out on. And so we're trying to get them all caught up, but it's it's always a challenge. But yeah, yeah. all those extracurriculars, I mean, 
a lot of the sports. Mm-hmm. Um, like I can't imagine, you know, I was a three-sport athlete in high, yeah. in high school. That was my life. Right. I, was, I was a horrible high school student, didn't care about school at all. Yeah. I passed classes so I could play so sports. So you could play, yep. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, if I was doing classes and I couldn't play sports, I... I probably would have failed high school for sure so i can't senior year or something yeah yeah. so i can't imagine just how hard that must be and just the change of getting used to it Mm -hmm. um must have been for the students so gosh yeah it's a difficult time yeah um you know on the right side of it now anyway but go ahead i hope so (laughs) yeah i think so too um, going back to the storytelling, um, that line you said, you come from a long line of storytellers. Mm-hmm. What do you think it is about, is that just something that's getting passed down from your family and it's, um, something learned or is, is that something in my that, family is definitely learned. Okay. Um, you know, I, my, my mom's mom's side of the family, the Holloways, they come from the north end of Wallowa County in Flora. And uh, so they, I mean, they had nothing else to do but to tell stories. But my great uncle Merritt Holloway, who, uh, he passed away years and years ago, um, but he was a cowboy, so he's one of my heroes, and he loved to tell stories. But he told a story about his grandfather, George Lytle, and he said, boy, we, we knew that if we ever wanted a break, all we had to do was ask old George a question, and we were done for an hour because he would, <laughs> it would take him an hour to answer the question, and he'd tell, get to telling stories and everything. And, and so, of course, that passed down to his grandkids, and then that passed down to, to me and you know my generation. But that family, that side of the family, we, we get together every two years and have a family reunion. And it's four days long, and we usually have about 150, 175 people there. Wow. Sometimes, it depends on the year, sometimes we'll have a couple hundred. In the Wallowa area? Um, well, we, we every 10 years, every year that ends with an eight, we end up back up there so that we can go to the old home places and things like that. Um, and now, funny enough, is I'm, I'm one of the ones who knows all that history because it was very important to me when I was growing up, and it has stayed important. And so I've been up there so many times, and when we go up there, I'm the, the first generation is all gone. My grandma and all her brothers and sisters are all gone now. And so um, the next generation, they're starting to get a little older too. And so I kind of always took that upon myself to keep that alive. And, and uh, I love it. It's just awesome. Like we have an auction where we sell you know everybody brings some sort of either a handcrafted item or something that has some family value to it and so at that auction we raised eighteen thousand dollars so we can put on the next reunion and it varies between fifteen and eighteen thousand but it's a good deal so i have uh, my great grandpa's original brand slip from the state of oregon um, it's framed. I've got a painting of my uncle, uh, who I've been talking about, Uncle Merritt, and he used to guide trail rides to the Rainbow Rock down there. He worked for Barry Goldwater, um, went wow. at the Rainbow Lodge down there, and so he got it. So I, I got a painting of him uh, guiding a trail ride down there, and then, uh, oh gosh, I, we got all kinds of family history stuff hanging around the house. I've got my 
Uncle Roy's Bronx Spurs, and they're in a shadow box that my grandpa built. My grandpa was a, a carpenter, and he built some of the finest furniture you'll ever see. So we've got a lot of that furniture in our house because we knew what we had while he was still alive. And and I, I mean, when Mandy and I got married, we, uh, uh, Grandpa, I need a corner cabinet. Uh, Grandpa, I need a coffee table. We need end tables. We need this. So we've got a lot of furniture that he built. And uh, some of that furniture, well, like the mantle on our, we got a big rock fireplace, and the mantle is actually a log out of the house that he grew up in oh. um, at Grouse Flats uh, on the north side of the river up there in Malawi County. So um, that's kind of cool. But that family history means a lot to, to me. And even my wife's family, they've got a ranch over in Hereford. Um, it's been in their family for 140 years. And uh, the sad thing about it is I know a lot more about the places up there and the history behind those places than she does. Because <laughs> she, she never uh, paid as much, as much attention. But so her uncle's in his 80s, um, and he shares a lot of that history when we're up there hunting and going around. And so I kind of keep track of it so I can take her to different places and, and take our kids to those places because it's their history and, and uh, you know, talk through all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's a lot of fun. But, like, we've got a split rail fence around our yard at home, and those rails were split by my wife's great-great-grandpa 138 years ago. And when wow. they started tearing the meadow fence down up there, we brought a bunch of those rails home and built that fence around our yard. And it's just kind of just little pieces of history like that. That's cool. Yeah. Speaking of uh, auctions, uh, you just did the auction at the Young Life Banquet yes. that I was at. Yes. You are very skilled. Well, uh, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Uh, I fake well, it. <laughs> do you fake it? No, oh, no. I, I kind of, I did for a long time because I go to these places and be speaking, and and somebody go, hey, can you sell this thing for our wildlife defense fund? I'm like, yeah. I, you know, I kind of fumble fart my way through it, and <laughs> I'm finally like, man, I'm doing enough of these auctions. I gotta, I gotta learn how to do this. So I ordered some DVDs and studied those. And, <laughs> I was gonna ask how you. How you like start into that well i didn't even get all the way through the dvd i got just enough figured out to be dangerous and so <laughs> i actually have done quite a few auctions a lot of livestock auctions and and different auctions like that and, and the young life deal is a pretty special deal yeah, yeah so. we well, did a great job i thought i thought it was really well done well thank you i'm trying to picture what this training dvd sounds like i love the idea <laughs> you know, there's a lot of a lot of uh rhyming stuff you know like uh Betty Butter bought a bat of better butter, but she but said this butter's bitter. If I put it in my batter, it'll make my batter bitter. So she bought a bit of better butter, put it in her bitter batter, made her bitter batter better. So does better Betty Butter bought a bat of better butter. So, and yeah, you know, so you got you practice yeah. all those kinds of things, and and I I still can't do them all. Like you know, Tommy Tatumus took two T's, tied them top two tall trees. I'm like. Heck with that! I'm just gonna sell some. So, <laughs> as long as you can count, you're all right. That, that reminds me of Anchorman. Memories. How now? Yes, Brown exactly. Cow. Unique New, New York. York. You have to enunciate. <laughs> yes. Well, Marty, since we're here talking rodeo and cowboy lifestyle, I do have to give just a quick shout out to uh, a couple guys that come to mind. My my friends and coworkers, Jeff Torrance and Ryan Madison. Oh, yeah. They're both both ex rodeo guys, and I think they're just a good good example of embodiment of the kind of the cowboy spirit because they're uh, just some of those guys, tough as nails, yeah. honest, respectful, 
just just great guys to be around and and still a little fiery with that cowboy heart so oh yeah yeah, yeah i gotta give those guys a shout out and you know that it does t- it's it takes a different mentality especially like you know riding bulls um that's just psycho but um, <laughs> that's know, what my mom always told me yeah that's so, why i roped <laughs> yeah there's there's some wisdom right there but yeah that the the mentality is is a little bit different i mean you and i loved playing baseball when i was a kid and i played all the way until i started riding bronx and and uh it's different because you've got a coach telling you what to do and you've got a team you're working with and and there's just all those things of course you know we've talked a little bit about athletics that's a different situation than when like my son he wants to be the world's greatest bow hunter and so he works out i mean this kid he he's like hard as this table and just he'll get up and work out in the morning he works out at night and shoots his bow and and just that's what he wants to do which i'm like well it's just an elk for crying out you know but i <laughs> and he the kid can rope really well but and actually started riding bronx last summer and went to one rodeo won it and then decided he didn't want to do it anymore and uh, which is fine you know that's totally he he's got a passion um but he he reminds me of me when i was riding bronx because i that was all on me. I didn't have a coach telling me. Although my senior year, uh, we had a teacher named Kurt Hargett who taught uh, TNC up at the high school. And he took every kid in that class. He goes, well, what, what do you want to do? What's your goals? And we'll tailor a workout towards you. And I said, well, I want to win the national championship in the saddle bronc riding. Because um, I won the state the year before. And that was my goal was to win the nation. And I came close, um, but not close enough. Uh, so, but the don't the, beat yourself up. About yeah, it. I still I still try to ride that horse. But yeah, the uh, he he developed this workout, and, and so I mean I showed up every day, and he had this, you know, there's a balance beam down there, medicine balls, and all this stuff laid out. It was a lot of plyometrics and things like that, and so I mean I went out there and I busted my hump, and I was just sweat dripping off of me, and and that was that was all my deal. Yeah, he he facilitated it for me but I was the one that had to work at it and so rodeo is a little bit different that way and, and you know Jeff and Ryan can attest to that well Shannon can too you know that it, you are that's your own baby and so it, it's kind of I guess the American way you know that that independence and mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff and working hard and it's, so that, there's a lot of Americana in that rodeo. Yeah. You mentioned your boy's really into archery. He must be a fan of Cameron Haynes. That's his biggest, you know, he walked. I don't, I didn't even know who this guy was, but I'm watching all He goes, my son could tool leather as good as anybody in the world. And so he makes his pickup payments tooling leather. And so he's got a TV out there in his leather shop. And Cameron Haynes is on there all the time. I'm like, who's this guy? <laughs> oh, he's from Ben. I'm like, oh, well, cool. Well, whatever, you know. And yeah. So then he he had a book that Cameron Haynes came out with, and he just got it the other day in the mail. And so I said, here, let me have that. So I read the introduction and the first chapter, and I'm like, hmm, this might be pretty dang good. Pretty neat, <laughs> yeah, uh, so. yeah, I don't remember what the book's called, but you're right. He did just have a book published. And for the listeners who may not know, Cameron Haynes is a yeah, he's a native to Oregon. 
but he's uh, basically kind of the the face of like a hardcore archery hunting. He's an ultra marathoner and he's uh, like an Under Armour athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, so you hear his name come up with you know meat eater Renella, but yeah, yeah, just a good role model for the kind of lifestyle you're talking about. Toughness, grit. Yeah. You know, it's on you. Put in the work, kind of kind of yeah. style. His book but, is called Endure. Endure by Cameron Haynes. Endure. Yeah. Endure yeah. is it? Actually, funny word it's funny now that yeah. I'm thinking Endure. about that. So Cameron Endure. Haynes, I believe, is also still working as like a superintendent for a school, a small school in uh, in Oregon. So another example of one of those guys that yeah. has a day job and goes and runs a marathon before work in the morning and then yeah. might shoot his bow for a couple hours. But even his title and subtitle are like, like it's Endure: How to Work Hard, Outlast, and Keep Hammering. Like yeah. even that's intense. Yeah. <laughs> And that, you know, the Joe Rogan does the introduction and of course, it's so funny. I was literally going to say, your son's going to end up on Joe Rogan. Like, hey, you better not be cussing like that guy. You know, but, uh, so he wrote the introduction. Of course, there's some cuss words in that introduction, but one of the things that impresses him so much, he goes, this guy doesn't just talk it. He does it. And he's up at three o'clock in the morning. And so I'm reading this. I'm going, okay, you need to read Mark Wahlberg's daily routine. And it's a very similar deal. You get up at three in the morning, work out, go eat breakfast, go to the golf course, which Mark Wahlberg lives a different lifestyle than us. Um, <laughs> but, you know, do whatever he does all the day. But, I mean, the, the intensity at which those guys live is like, holy oh, yeah. mackerel. I don't, like, I can't even imagine getting up at three. <laughs> oh yeah, I I used to get up at three all the time when I well now the only time I get up at three is when I'm stressed out. So if I wake up at three fifteen and it's not three, it's three fifteen, I know I'm stressed out about mm. something. And so last week I was woke up at three fifteen every night or every day because it was our FFA banquet. Mm. That stresses me out. Um, but anyhow, we uh, used to get up at three o'clock when I when I worked for the Oregon FFA. I'd have a meeting in Corvallis at eight. So I'd get up at three and roll out of the rack and get in the driver's seat, drive oh, down man. there, drive home that day because I didn't want to stay in a hotel. So, <laughs> <laughs> but that was just stupid. Long so, day. Yeah. I, unless you have any more questions, Shannon. The last one I wanted to throw at you, Marty, was, you know, you've obviously been all around the country. You've probably got opportunities to settle down just about anywhere. So can you tell me kind of why Pendleton? Hmm. We were just talking about that the other day, my wife and I, and both of us grew up here. We both graduated from Pendleton High School. Neither one of us wanted to end up back here. Uh, we wanted to end up in Baker, but when we, uh, when Mandy finished nursing school, she got offered a job at St. Anthony's, so we moved back over here, and then I got a job teaching here, and then we bought a place and started in that place. When we bought it, it was 80 acres with a double-wide trader on it, and that was it, and so we have done... It, now it's got a you know stick built house, uh, barns, pipe arena, corrals, every fence. Yeah, there wasn't even a tree on the place, and now we've got trees all over. And it's like, okay, this is home, and we're we're gonna be here for a long, long time. And and it took us a long time before we we're like, oh yeah, we're we're here for good. And <laughs> it might have been ten years ago when we finally decided, okay, we're not going anywhere, but. It's been good. My wife's a stable one. She's been working. She started working at St. Anthony's. Tom Weeks came and hired her away to his office uh, 20 years ago. And she has been there ever since. Tom's retired, so she still works for Brad Adams. And she's been the nurse there. And 
I in the last 20 years I probably had six jobs so uh, <laughs> she well I have six jobs right now but I mean six you know various little episodes and and uh, we love Pendleton um, we love the people here our, our ministry the family that we have there um, you know our, our church family has always been a very important part of our life and and if we move somewhere then there and I've had some opportunities to to go to different places, um, you know, that are quite a ways away. Um, and I'm just kind of glad they didn't work out because here we are and, and this is home for us. But um, I fortunately, I get to have a lot of homes away from home throughout the year. <laughs> That's what I was going to say is, yeah, getting to travel, go to all the different rodeos, mm-hmm. that kind of helps take that feeling of like, do I want to go somewhere else? Right. Because you, you get those experiences. So yeah. travel really can can help those uh, those thoughts of needing to move somewhere. Well, a lot of those places, you know, I'm there for a week. And so in that week, if it were in November, I probably could get elected mayor in some of those spots. You know, so <laughs> uh, it's just like Prineville is a great example. I, I mean, th- that was my very first PRCA rodeo. And I've been there ever since. And it's just... Uh, their family to me, um, you know, same thing. Another great example of that be Elgin, the Elgin Stampede, mm-hmm. just small town rodeo, but you know, a, a fun rodeo, and I love it. And the the people over there have just become family to me, and they've told me that. Well, you're family now, so you can't leave. I'm like, I don't want to leave. I love it over here. It's right over the hill, beautiful. Yeah. I get to set up camp right there and just enjoy it. And it's you, you're you're there every year pretty quick, you know. It's it's another place for you to call home, and mm-hmm. so I I definitely feel that way about those places. But um, it sure does feel good when I drive up my driveway out there and walk <laughs> yeah. through the front door. <laughs> I was just listening. I don't know if it was another podcast I was listening to. Um, probably was, but there was two guys talking about having that <coughs> feeling of you know feeling unsettled, you know wherever you are. But it's like no matter where you end up, there there's always going to be something that you're like, oh, well, you know, oh, I want to move to Hawaii. Then you move to Hawaii and you're like, ah, oh, it's, it's too yeah. hot and it's too expensive here. Yeah. So you move back to Colorado. But then there's something about Colorado that's not yeah. hot enough. And there's always something. You're always going to have that thing. So that's why I say, like, traveling can really help that, yeah, that bug. it does. And I, I you, you remind me of a story. When I was in college, me and a buddy of mine, we, we wanted to go to Texas. That's where we were going to go to school. And so we were going to go tour Texas A&M, and, and uh, we were entering some rodeos down there at the same time. But uh, we thought that Texas was the promised land, and that it was the weather was always going to be good, and the people were going to be wonderful, and this, that, and the other thing. And we get down there, and we're, we're in my little Nissan pickup. I had a canopy that I'd kind of refabbed, so it was not, a, not the coolest canopy in the world, but... It worked until it started snowing on us in Fort Worth, Texas, and then the roof started leaking. And we're so we pull under the awning at a or the parking garage at the downtown YMCA in Fort Worth, Texas, and parked in there so we didn't get wet all night long. And then we go to Odessa, Texas, to the rodeo there, and it's like 12 degrees outside. And and then you know we're every it's like everything we were trying to get away from we ran into down there, and so. What I realized is that everywhere you go, it's gonna rain. 
Doesn't matter. I mean, you can be in Death Valley, California. At some point, it's going to rain. And if it doesn't rain, it's still 200 degrees. So whatever, you know. But mm-hmm. um, you're right. Every place has its thing. And like Hawaii. Uh, Hawaii is beautiful. And it is, you know, for some people, I got, you know, a lot of friends that they think that that is, that is the cat's meow. And I remember the first time we went over there to announce that rodeo, it was a blast. We got to do some cool things. We went pig hunting and went and worked yearlings on the Parker Ranch. And I mean, you name it, we we did it. It was great, except for the tourist stuff. We didn't do any of the tourist stuff. We did all the kind of local things. Played the guitar and sang. And <laughs> and uh, so we got back home, flew back into Portland. We got into the Columbia River Gorge. And I looked at my wife and I said, Hawaii is beautiful. She goes, yeah. I go, but that is every bit as beautiful to me. I mean, it was just being home in Oregon. It was like that that's as good as it gets as far as I'm concerned. So home is definitely where the heart is. Yeah, for (laughs) sure. Um, I did have a a few more final questions. Okay. Um, So all the rodeos you've ever been to, is there one memory that sticks out most that like the most memorable rodeo and it doesn't have to be specific (laughs) something that happened to you but just something that happened at the rodeo or yeah i can i there's one i mean this this was crazy it was prineville the crooked river roundup um the year before covid so 2019 uh it poured down rain tuesday night before the rodeo um and so everybody's kind of in a panic. The rodeo green is muddy and this, that, and the other thing. Um, but then it was okay. And Wednesday night, they have their parade. And they drive, or not a parade, they drive a bunch of cattle through the streets and have a downtown kind of party. And I mean, it let loose, started dumping. So next morning is first day of slack, Thursday. And they got to the arena and it's two feet deep in mud. And so they said, well, we're going to postpone slack. Well, then the committee said, hey, we can fix this. So they got in there. The construction companies up on the hill um, sent all their front end loaders. And front end loaders come down there and they started, they dug the first two feet of that arena out of there, dumped it out in a pile out in the infield because it's a racehorse track there. They dug a hole or two out there in the middle of the infield and replace the entire arena. So all of a sudden, sun's out that day, it's a beautiful day, but you have this muddy arena. Well, here's this arena completely dry and perfect, and away we go, start the rodeo, start slack. Uh, moved into the, it kind of ran right into the production meeting, so we go production meeting, go to the rodeo performance, have the rodeo, and away we go. So everything went great Thursday night, everything went great Friday night. During the night, Friday night, somebody went broke into the announcer's stand and stole a bunch of the sound equipment and a bunch of the scoreboard equipment. Uh, the sound equipment, I know, was over $10,000 worth of stuff. And the scoreboard equipment, I, I don't know what the value was on that. So, Prineville, they turned the police loose and they're like, reward offered. And so, by I think it was like 2 o'clock that afternoon, the culprit had been found and arrested all the equipment was taken into evidence by the da and the da said um we will go ahead and release this so you can have a rodeo tonight 
So all of it was back in there, and we had our rodeo that night. And halfway through the rodeo, a thunderstorm rolled in, and it began to dump rain. And the thunder and lightning was all around us. So they stopped the rodeo for 20 minutes. First time I've ever announced a rodeo where they actually stopped the rodeo. And people were, you know, nobody left because they have a covered grandstand there. And me and J.J. Harrison and Jason Buchanan, the sound man, we played with those people for 20 minutes. And they had the time of their lives. <laughs> and then we started the rodeo again. and had the wild cow milk. And I remember Sean Santucci, he wouldn't let go of the rope on this cow. She drug him the full length of that arena. And it's a big arena. Not as big as ours here, but it was big. And uh, so I saw him after the rodeo. I go, what are you doing? He goes, just adding to the show. And it was just Western and wild. <laughs> and that community came together. And it, it was just so cool to see... Um, everything that came together for that thing to happen. And then it's still dumped rain on Saturday night, but nobody cared one bit. It was just, it was great. And so um, that would probably be the most <clears throat> memorable thing that that has happened. I mean, I've seen some amazing bronc rides, amazing bull rides, some six-second runs with the best guys in the world in the calf roping, you know, and or tie-down roping, whatever you want to call it. And, I mean, I've I've gotten to see some amazing things but just to see that community come together and support that rodeo despite everything that was coming against it that was that was pretty awesome that's a really fun story <laughs> that is and then the the last question i wanted to leave uh leave with is just like what is what does legacy mean for you man that's a the older i get the the more important that word is um I just, you know, I, I look at my family and the legacy that my ancestors have left for me and how important that stuff is for me. Um, I look at, you know, the Pendleton Buckaroos and, and the legacy that that has left in my life and my wife's life. Over the last, you know, I, I go and do that buck booster auction every year, and the only reason I do is because I'm a buckaroo, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and so. Those types of things that we can hand off to that next generation, um, they they kind of make us who we are, you know. And I, I look at these kids that I teach on a daily basis, and the pride that they have. Like you know, good good examples. Both are advanced and beginning ag mechanics teams won the district contest this year, and I mean I. It, just looking at those kids, realizing that in 20 years, their kids are going to be doing this <laughs> and the exact same thing. And they're going to be hearing the same thing these kids are hearing from their parents, who I graduated with. You know, oh, back when I was in FFA, we want everything. And I think we did. But, uh, <laughs> the, you know, so that legacy gets handed down, Jenner. And it's, it's just a pride in community, a pride in the things that we can do and, the, and doing our best. Pendleton... Um, it probably has one of the biggest legacies that is anywhere, and that's that big rodeo that we have every September because this community revolves around that. I'm sure there's people out there who don't think that, but the fact is this community revolves around the Pendleton Roundup. And it just, it's, it's so cool because, you know, and I know these directors year in and year out, and nearly every one of them, they show up on their job and they... You know, they may know the job a little bit. They may not know the job at all. But whatever the case is, 
those volunteers that are on their committee, their crew, they are the ones who run that thing. And the, every one of those directors will tell you that, that I don't have to do anything because those guys, they, that, that guy and his son have been on this crew for mm-hmm. 50 years. Uh, there's a guy from France that comes every year and volunteers for the Hay and Barnes crew. Really? Uh, and he's been he's been involved with it longer than the Hay and Barnes director, you know. And, we need to get him on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, and I don't know if he's come the last couple of years since the COVID deal, but prior to that, he, he'd come every year. Uh, Happy Canyon, you know, you go down there. There's, there's a guy from Portland who snuck in for the first several years just to be in the show um, wasn't part of the show, just kind of snuck in, ended up getting in a role, and, and now he's a volunteer every year. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he's on the list now, and I was kind of the same way, but that that just goes on and on and on. I mean, we've been doing it for 112 years now, and it's just exciting to see that and to see my kids. Uh, my daughter has been involved in the, the children's rodeo, and my son is a volunteer on the livestock crew that's what i was just going to bring up that you know growing up here in pendleton i did the livestock crew and there's some of my best roundup memories oh yeah yeah and that's that's that legacy so i think if we leave something behind um you know i'm very confident that when i leave here i'm not done you know i mean i i'm stepping into eternity and i i get to be with jesus forever and 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 i'm not talking about a, a church service in the sky i'm talking about real life you know i mean and i'm excited about that but i i know that i am who i am largely because of the people that came before me and you know we talked about my my uncles my grandpa and and so on and so forth but i wouldn't be who i am without those people and i know that my kids are not who they are without my wife and me and their grandparents and my students, um, I, I still say things today that my teachers said. So, like, good example, David Becky, one of my favorite teachers. He was my social studies teacher, eighth and ninth grades. Um, just probably one of the classiest teachers Pendleton High School has ever seen. And he would say, let us cease and desist with the grope and fondle session, you know, and things like that. And so I, I say those things. And, uh, you know, like uh, Dave Remington was my art teacher my senior year, and he'd sit down and go, oh, you silly goosey guys, what are you doing? And so I say the same thing. It's like, you know, what my teachers did and said and the things that they, you know, like my ag teacher forced me to do everything, and I'm so glad he did, and I do the same thing. And those kids write me letters saying, Mr. Campbell pushed me out of my comfort zone. And that was the best thing that's ever happened to me. And you're just like, wow, that's so cool. So that, that I guess, is what legacy means to me, is that we can truly make a difference in people's lives. So That's awesome. Thanks for that. Um, maybe we just want to end with uh, letting people know like how they can get involved in the ministry or... Um, if you want to check out his book, it's The Cattle on a Thousand Hills, Knowing the Real God Who Cares About Our Real Lives. Mm-hmm. Find it on Amazon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, how could they? How could someone come to a service? Well, um, right now, during the school year, we, we meet at the Letterbuck Room. And so we've got, we're, we're not meeting Memorial Day because we, we, re, we meet on Mondays. 
So I'll throw that out there right off the bat because <laughs> there are people like, what time's your service on Sunday? It's not on Sunday. It's on Monday. So uh, we call it the Monday night gather, but we during the school years, we meet at the Letterbuck Room. Um, we start dinner at 5.45, and then I start singing and preaching at 6.15. And then in the summertime, we meet at our house, um, which is uh, 51024 Cayuse Road. Um, so it's it's 14 miles out there. So we meet a half an hour later. So we start dinner at 6.15, and then uh, start the music and message at 6.45. So it's it's a little, little trek out there, but it's a beautiful spot. Um, it's it's kind of fun to be out there in the summertime because they're we have a lot of friends that you know they'll come and then they don't leave they just sit there and <laughs> watch the sunset or whatever it is because we're we don't have any neighbors it's pretty cool yeah. so it's a mm-hmm. great spot to to just be at one with you know all God's created so that's a pretty cool thing but uh, and then we also have a, a daily reading that we put out on Facebook. So you can check that out on Broken Horn Ranch Ministries um, on Facebook. So you can just look that up, um, and anybody can read those on there. And then we also have an email list that people can sign up for. I wouldn't recommend that, though, because I'm so behind on getting people added to the list. It's unbelievable. I think that's Uh, the first time I've ever heard, you know, not recommending yeah, that someone so, follow your email list. Yeah, it's like, oh, you, if you're waiting on email, holy moly, Mr. Campbell. And my, my students will say that. that you know, I, and I call it the Google. And uh, <laughs> so and for a long time, people are like, it's not the Google, it's Google, whatever. You know, so I'll say the Google. So I, I'm the president, or the past president now of the Oregon Agriculture Teachers Association. And so last year when I retired as president, they gave me a glass mug that had etched into it the Google. And, <laughs> and so now every, all the ag teachers in the state, they call it the Google. Um, so I, I've made an impact. That's my impact. <laughs> That's the legacy. <laughs> there it is right exactly. There. Right on. Well, Marty Campbell, uh, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate you giving your time and, and sharing things that you're passionate about. So thanks so much for being here. You bet. It's been fun. And, uh, man, I hope we can do it again sometime. Yeah, definitely. Okay. All right. Bye, everybody.